Bro, I'm gonna record it because, bitch, if anything happened to me, we. Where the fuck is Ebony? Sir, please leave me alone. I am a man. I'm a man. Hell no. G. Yo, listen, G. Fuck this shit because I'm gonna beat your ass, dog. G. G. Stop. Ebony, which way we going, bitch? Because he finna make me fight him, bitch. I keep telling this man I'm a nigga. I keep telling this man I'm a nigga. He won't leave me alone. Oh, God, bro. Oh, God, bro. Gee, I'm a whole dude out here. The fuck is you saying? I'm a whole dude out here. Okay, it is uh, Friday, uh, December 20th, 2019. Yeah, you ladies got to, you know, stay alert because this dude out here, dudes out here just following you for no goddamn reason. Oh, man. As always, I'm unbelievably unprepared. Um, so let's 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 see if we can start this off correctly. All right. Uh, you want to talk about the impeachment trial? We, we, we can go about doing that. Um, Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi insisted Thursday that Senate Republicans must provide details on witnesses and testimony before she would send over the charges for Trump's trial. No deal, replied Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell after meeting with his Senate Democratic counterpart. We remain at an impasse, he said. If they get this shit up off the ground sometime soon I'll be I'll be amazed of course the big you know big question is just will any of this matter will Trump still be in office I mean just he's believe he's the third president to be impeached and everything just like he, he's he's he, he's gone this long just doing all kinds of shit uh, just it would be it would be nice if there would be if there was something resembling an impeachment trial. But you know who knows at this point. This is why I don't like talking about Trump because just like what what the hell else is there to talk about? Just oh, man, just what the hell else is there to say? Here's something I want to say, you know. We've, we've gotten to this point in our culture where just we're just so in this just funk, this malaise that stuff happens where people where where stuff where you know it's like we should, stuff that people should talk about don't talk even like things that are just out of the norm. Like here's a perfect example. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I saw on. Uh, Instagram live 
that uh, Cardi B uh, uh, went to the bathroom to prove that she has explosive diarrhea because she was supposed to be in some other country and people thought uh, she was faking and to prove it, she went on Instagram live and she literally, you know, took a shit. She, she literally just like, just waited until she made the sound and everything. And I'm like, is this, is this what we like in our, in our culture now? We're just like, a celebrity takes a shit in front of you, and that's like, uh, well, you know, she, she had to do what she had to do. You know, just, hey, just, you know, like, we've all been there. We've all had to, you know, sit on the toilet and just, like, you know, strain one out. And it's just like, it was painful. It's just like, well, why can't Cardi B do it? It's just, I was waiting for somebody to talk, start talking about Cardi B taking a shit on um, Instagram Live, but nobody did it. So, oh man, this this, this is what we are. Just like when this is is strange. It's like you know, we, we people still try to give up this. The celebrities try to give this impression that they're sophisticated, regal folk. Folk, and meanwhile, Cardi B shitting. For your amusement, and so just like when when that when stuff like that happens, it's like all bets are off. Just do what you gotta do. Remember the good old days when it was white women fake kidnapping each other. Just they would go. This is like they be hear about some white woman just missing turns out she was somewhere and it's just like she just faked it all then then there was that there was at least a silverstone movie where, where she was fake kidnapped or so turns out you know just thanks to the juicy smile you know black people feel the need to fake kidnap themselves now According to the sources, uh, Carol Sanchez was upset her mother planned to move them back to their native Honduras was it a black one? and wanted to stay in the United States with her boyfriend who has not been publicly named. Sanchez's story captivated the city and prompted an Amber Alert after the NYPD released harrowing surveillance footage from Monday night showing the young girl appearing to be kidnapped right off the street in the Bronx while her mother tries to fend off the abductors. But, of course, apparently that, that turned out not to have happened. Considering there are you know, actual black girls that are, that are kidnapped on the regular and, you know, you know put in a sex trafficking, you know, this, you know, this, the last thing we need to see was that shit. Uh, meanwhile, here, right here in Houston, first of all, I just, just want to apologize on behalf of all the fucked up people in Houston for this story. Uh, police believe they found the body of missing Austin, Texas mother, Heidi Broussard, at a home in the Houston area, officials said in a news conference on Friday. 
Investigators found a baby girl believed to be Broussard's daughter, Margot Carey, who was reported missing along with her mother on December 12th. Um, yeah, that, 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 that whole story is, is just a mess and sad and apparently a Lifetime movie waiting to happen because there's this other gr- woman uh, pretending to be pregnant along the same time as this woman was pregnant, and next thing you know, they, they found the woman's body in a trunk, and it's just, oh, God damn it. Once again, on, be, on behalf of all of Houston, I'm terribly sorry. I just, you know, this is the kind of bullshit that happens here on the regular. So. Oh, man. What else? Oh, yeah, ASAP Rocky dropped the sex tape. Uh, the rapper, 31, uh, defended his moves under the sheets after viewers of the sex tape slammed him for a slow performance. In an X-rated tweet, Rocky joked that he was the defense attorney for his private part, he then claimed he's confident in his capabilities when it comes to pleasing partners. I don't know about you, but I but I still I still wish that he, you know he had a sex tape with with him and Kathy Griffin because there, there was there's I don't know if any of you remember this there's like this this point in time when when Kathy Griffin was trying to fuck a lot of rappers like. And uh, you know, yeah, they seem to be very cozy and comfortable, and like they did a noisy interview together. And uh, just I just I just assumed shit was going to go down, but you know, uh, we all dream. Oh jeez, what the hell else you want to talk about? You, talk, you want to talk about? You know, like which um, elaborate ass uh, winter blockbuster you're gonna see this weekend? You wanna talk about talk about seeing uh, Star Wars: uh, The Rise of Skywalker, aka Ryan Johnson, can go fuck himself. Yeah, well, they they really that movie out. Not gonna give away a lot, but just. They really go out their way to show, to show, like, yeah, we're sorry for everything that Ryan Johnson did with the Last Jedi. So we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna let's 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 forget that ever happened and just. Most upsetting part about that was that they they, they stuck um, they stuck a uh, Kelly Marie Tran way in the back, just yeah, just. <laughs> Everybody's out doing stuff. She's she's back in the um you know on, on some planet with uh, uh ghost Carrie Fisher and just like you know we we you know she was she was a, she apparently she pissed off a lot of Star Wars people so yeah she's not in it as much and I'm gonna say I've said it online I'm gonna say it again just white people have ruined Star Wars is this. It was just supposed to be this fun ass thing. I was never a big Star Wars fan, believe it or not. I've seen 
all these motherfucking movies. And I'm still like, whatever. Because, you know, just, yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, I was never you know, big into it, but just, hey, it, it's it's there. But, you know, the people who love it, they really love it. And if they don't approve of whatever the hell the mythology or the canon is part of, they just lose their shit. And so J.J. Abrams made a movie where it's just like they try to please him, but it just makes no goddamn sense. So, so y'all, y'all enjoy yourselves with that this weekend. Uh, what about Cats? Oh, yeah, Cats were a bunch of uh, famous people um, dressed up as cats. The biggest flaw to me in Cats is that they're dressed up as cats. Yeah, that's the funny Because, like, it, it, you know, yeah, the movie sucks, but it, it always sucks because it's about cats. Got Taylor Swift and Idris Elba looking like, you know, computer-generated cats. God damn it. Oh, yeah. I don't envy y'all trying to find movies to watch. All the good movies y'all ain't going to see, so just... I can tell y'all to go see Knives Out, but you ain't gonna see that shit. Man, man, if I just stay home and watch Dolomite is my name, but you know, just, uh, yeah, I like those. Oh man, how y'all gonna celebrate your, your Christmas or your Kwanzaa, or your Hanukkah, or whatever the fuck y'all celebrate? I hate the holidays so goddamn much. I want it to be over so badly because you know, just. Nobody, people just stop what the hell they're doing. Can't wait to just not work and just celebrate you know, the holidays. I'm I'm celebrating right now by by drinking as much as I can. Yeah, this is what I do. I don't think there's anything else. Any other. Any other bullshit going on? Nah, I can't think of anything. So let's let's see if we can get some music going. See if this shit works. This is uh, the most aggravated show on uh, the interwebs. This is. Everything is canceled. Ah, let's all try, shall we? Oh, 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 oh,
holiday time I am Craig D. Lindsay aka Uncle Crizzle aka Black Larry David aka Anastasia Beaverhausen aka a whole bunch of shit um and uh let me just uh run down what I just played start at the top that was uh She by Harry Styles from uh, his new Fine Line album Still like his debut more than this one, but that was a good track from that. Um, after that, that was uh, Kate Renata from his uh, new uh, album Bubba uh, titled Free Fall featuring Duran, Duran Bernard. Got to track that dude down or I believe we're just trying to see where that dude came from. And after that, that was... Um, uh, Jack Herrera, uh, which is a, a side project that uh, John B. started like, tr- like 20, 21 years ago that uh, didn't see the, sadly didn't see the light of day um, because Sony thought that shit wouldn't play or whatever. And uh, him and a couple of, uh, of his uh, backup singers came up with this side project called Jack Herrera. And they, they dropped it down called uh, Retro Future Futuristo, which uh, didn't come out, I believe, until a couple of years ago. I just like I just stumbled upon it, and there's a whole album out there which you know you should really check it out. Retro Futuristo, 
and that track was uh, Up Above My Head. So uh, shout out to John B. for trying to, for, for finally getting that out there. So uh, if you want to hit me up on uh, the Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, wherever the fuck, it's uh, at Uncle Crizzle, U-N-C-L-E-C-R-I-Z-Z-L-E. If you would like to donate, if you like to give me some holiday cheer this year uh, for this podcast, because, you know, we can't try to get sponsors and it's just hard to do that when nobody knows who the fuck you are. Uh, hit me up at uh, paypal.me slash Uncle Crizzle. Oh, sure. I have Cash App. I have Venmo, but PayPal has been a long standing thing with me. I don't know. Just, I, just, I just prefer PayPal. So paypal.me slash Uncle Crizzle. All right, let's uh, see if I can uh, get uh, this episode's guest on the line. I told him I'd be calling up. Uh, I will have to uh, go to the phones. Excuse me. As always, trying to figure out how hell this works. I, I you know, it's, because this is going to be my first uh, phone guest. Is this phone even working? Oh, here we go. All right. Okay. Uh, Just let me get his damn number back up here. Let me pull this up. Hello. Hello, Vernal. Yeah. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Doing well. You're calling me from a different number. You want me to call you from a different number? No, no. You're calling me from a different number than you did earlier. I thought this was the number that I was supposed to call you from. No, you, well, I'm just saying you called me from a 919 number earlier. Now it's a 713 number. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, because I'm calling you from the studio. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you're, but you're on the air now. Oh, wait. Is this live? 
Yeah, it's live. Okay. All right. Uh, well, let me uh, give you the intro. Uh, the person on the line right now is a uh, is a is a very I like to call him a very investigative journalist. Um, he uh, uh, he uh, has uh, written for various publications, and uh, including uh, uh, the he did some time in New Jersey for the New York Star Ledger. He uh, did some time in Seattle for the Seattle Times, Seattle Weekly, and now he's the investigative journalist, uh, investigative writer for uh, Boston Globe. So, um, uh, Vernal Coleman, welcome to Everything Is Canceled. Good to be with you. And uh, it's, it's been a long time since we talked. Uh, how have things been going for you? Uh, for the most part, things are all right. You know, can't complain, can't call it as they say. Uh, got health, got some happiness. So you know what, works going well. I, I, I love, I love, I love the way you put it. Just like I got, I got health. I got, I guess, got a, got what you got. Hey. Yeah, you know, be thankful for small favors. So yeah, well, well, I mean, you're in Boston now. I mean, how long have you been in Boston? Um, it'll be six. It is six months. Six months. Uh, wow. Yeah. Six, six months. And uh, how's it been for you in terms of uh, doing investigative work uh, for the Globe? Um, the Globe still has uh, a well-deserved. Uh, reputation for doing investigative work. Uh, there's a big commitment, uh, an entrenched commitment uh, to do this work. I'm working on something right now and have been working on various different smaller projects since uh, I started here. Um, my team is uh, sort of the designated uh, group within the newsroom that is supposed to get um, the investigative projects into the newspaper and published um, you know, at a, sort of a faster pace than some of uh, some of the other units that uh, you might know of, you know, specifically uh, Spotlight, which, you know, they work on stories that can take six months, several months, uh, up to a year uh, to complete. Um, and since I've been here, you know, it's kind of started right out of the gate doing stuff. There was a lot of news over the summer um, related to transportation and the, uh, the uh, subway lines here, um, derailments, all that kind of stuff, and it kind of got thrown into the deep end. Um, in fact, on my second day, I think I had a byline. Um, but it's been good so far. You know? uh, this is the work I always wanted to do, and got an opportunity to do it so for that reason things are all right yeah because uh y you are a part according to your byline uh, according to your, your bio as the uh is a reporter on the globe's investigative quick strike team which which almost yeah. makes you sound like you know you're part of like a like a, like a comic book group like you know, part of the Justice League, uh, the X Men or some shit. Just, just like, just, just what does that entail? Just tell people what that entail for uh, uh, the novices like out there. It's, it's uh, there are various different uh, ways to be an investigative reporter. 
uh, various different uh, sort of, uh, I guess you'd call it, um, concepts for investigative reporting, how to put together teams and whatnot. You know, people know of Spotlight for a lot of reasons. Um, and there was a pretty famous movie uh, that highlighted the, the Globe's work. That is the traditional way to do an investigative unit. You know, you've got a group of um, editors and uh, writers who um, are very good at digging up um, information um, and working on long, gestating stories uh, until they get to a point where, you know, sometimes, again, maybe take a couple weeks, sometimes it may take a year or so. Uh, to get that that done, but they don't publish until they do. They don't do iterative stories. Um, they want to hit you with everything. Um, my team is part of, a, I guess, a newer concept of investigative journalism, the one that's sort of taken hold in newsrooms around the country and Boston Globe, including the Washington Post, where, you know, as budgets have tightened and for a lot of different reasons because the news cycle moves to quick more quickly uh, than it used to uh, and because there is such an appetite for um, investigative work uh, that drives traffic online and gets people, like, well, not excited necessarily, but certainly interested and engaged with the work. Uh, you want to put out that information or at least put out that kind of work as quickly or as often as you can. So uh, Boston Globe has decided some time ago to put together its own team called the Quick Strike Team, uh, meaning that, you know, we, when something happens, um, you are able to respond to it um, a more, at a quicker, faster pace than a uh, spotlight team, uh, a team that you know, may be working on one story. Um, so it's also a way to pick up all the pieces, all the way, respond to all the, the tips that um, may fall through the cracks while a more uh, longer-term team or a team that's working on longer stuff uh, may be occupied. Your quick strike team can, can respond, well, quickly uh, to, again, something that needs to be in the paper in the next day or in the next week. Uh, and you are telling those iterative stories, getting out information, pieces of information, even for uh, just to get in for the public as quickly as you can um, and competing with other organizations to do it. So when I started here um, over the summer, there was a derailment on the MBTA so we were trying to get any uncover any information that we possibly could as far as the um, the reason the cause um, and that blew up into a whole summer of stories about um, the MBTA and the fallout from that um, fallout from that that derailment and uh, ended up speaking to uh, source. Uh, well-placed source inside the safety department at the, the agency that runs the, the transit or the transit agency that runs the subway system and uh, uncovered some information, a memo that that person had put together 
about their own concerns about the safety and safety culture within the organization. So that became a big scoop and it had resonance because this is a person that the agency had decided was or had designated to to oversee its safety regulations and requirements and guidelines So and do investigations. So uh, that was something that was turned around within uh, a week, I believe. Um, so that is what the strike team is supposed to do, just get that work out there as quickly as you can. Well, it actually brings up, uh, I just wanted to see how, you talked earlier about tips and everything, like how does that go about? Do like people call? Do they email? Just trying to see how does... Uh, uh, stories fall into your lap and you, uh, you know, put it out there in print? Oh, it's it's any number of ways, you know. You're a reporter. You're supposed to be an enterprise reporter. you got to go out and generate your own ideas. And that means cultivating sources, talking to people in areas of, that are personally of interest to you or, or because you're curious about them, etc. Just all the traditional ways. Uh, but also... You know, like I said, uh, because the Boston Globe has a reputation for investigative journalism, because, you know, I think that to a certain extent people are used to uh, coming to the Boston Globe and trusting the Boston Globe to handle things, we get a lot of tips. Um, so you're chasing all of those down. It's a quick strike team. Again, you're responding to those, the ones that... Um, that the spotlight team proper can't or doesn't necessarily have time to follow up on because they've got, you know, their own projects, long-term projects that they're working on. So, yeah, it's a mix. It's things that you're just interested in, um, tips that come in, and if you've got a story that you're working on, like say that uh, uh, something happens, like the MBTA uh, derailment, it's something that you hit on every single time, well, every single day if you can. Um, and generally it doesn't work like that, but uh, if you got a story that's, um, that's dominated in the news cycle and there's an investigative angle to it, um, you want to keep working that story for as much as you can. And, you know, tips beget tips and stories beget stories. Uh, so the more you write, sometimes the more you learn and more tips come in about that one thing. So one of my colleagues uh, uh, has been writing for almost uh, a solid year now. Uh, he's on the quick strike team or certainly works closely with us um, about Massachusetts State Police, which has had issues with uh, overtime pay. And uh, I guess the falsification of overtime pay records, um, and that blew up last year, and is and they're still writing about it. So, you know, as you're still gathering uh, information on your own in other areas, you're still, you know, you also want to be um, continuing to press as hard as you can on the stories that you know are have some heat, and also. Uh, are going to bear fruit. So you kind of work in all those angles at the same time. I got to ask, what is it like? How, well, how is this, this the Mass, Massachusetts State Police uh, 
you know deal how is it is to deal with uh, the, the state police these days especially considering for you know for those who don't know you are a uh, a, a very um i don't know just a, a bulky african-american figure hmm. with uh with very interesting kinky hair from if i if i still remember so uh well yeah still still quote-unquote bulky i guess yeah. um and um still have the same hair yeah um though you know so, i got a trim since last time we talked um as far as uh Boston's reputation and maybe the state's police department's uh, specific reputation. I can't speak directly to the state police. I have not had any interactions with them, but I have certainly heard the re- about the reputation that uh, some law enforcement departments have here and relationships with uh, people who look like me and the communities that they come from. And that, uh, you know, those those stories are uh, long. Well, the stories are the history goes back a lot that a long way. Um, I can only say that um, it is a city that still feels palpably like there is tension, and it's changing, but there is certainly tension there. Well, well, um, well, can you give me a description of just the kind of tension? I, that I mean, you, again, I haven't had much interaction, but I certainly read stories. I read my own newspaper, uh, and that's, there are things that happen that, uh, where that highlight those remaining tension. Um, as far as personal uh, interactions with the police here, I haven't had any myself. Um, neither in Boston Police Department or... Massachusetts State Police. Um, but I can say that Boston's reputation uh, is as a racist city. Uh, well, it's tough. I mean, the Boston Globes ran a whole series uh, about, about that. Um, Spotlight team did um, last year. And all of it, reading after reading it, rang true to me, and especially after you know, six months here. Like the things that it highlighted, certainly things that I noticed myself. Um, and yet, it, the weird thing is, it's it's a diverse city, and becoming more diverse by the year. I believe, and I, I want to say it's about 35 percent uh, non-white at this point, which certainly is as um, a larger percentage of non-white folks here in this city than there are in Seattle or where I previously lived. Um, and would you say that there's, would I say that there's tensions in Seattle? Certainly. It just doesn't have the same feel. And I know I'm being vague, but it's just sort of something that you can feel in the air. Well, it's so much as you being vague. It's just like, as you say, you, because like I'm trying, to, I'm I'm trying to remember the trajectory, the trajectory of because like you went, 
I believe you went uh, from New Jersey. Was it? Was it? Was it? Was it Seattle first, or was it New Jersey? Oh, I was, I was actually in Seattle when I left from New Jersey. I've lived in Seattle three times. I yeah, what, what the hell is that matter about just going living in Seattle three times? Hey, man, you know it's it's the journalism industry. It's uh, mm-hmm. it can be an itinerant lifestyle. Yeah. Those those folks that you know are able to to start their careers at one newspaper or at one city and then um, in their careers in that same city at that same newspaper. Those careers are, I think, fewer and far between these days. Um, And myself don't have, uh, haven't had many opportunities or at least maybe uh, put, yeah, opportunities to put down roots. Um, You know, it's just you go where there's opportunity. And, you know, for me, opportunity ran through Seattle a couple of times. And, you know, it also, opportunities dried up there, too. Like, that's how I ended up in New Jersey. Um, uh, I was laid off from Microsoft, uh, which started a news division and then decided along with a whole bunch of other folks that were on uh, working on its websites msn.com that you know I had to lay off a whole bunch of people and despite the fact that I had only been there six months uh, five months actually um, I got laid off Um, and so at that point I had to decide especially because I'm not 22 anymore, like what I wanted for myself and what I wanted for my career, you know, if I wanted to stay in journalism yeah. because I was, I was rough. Yeah. Well, just like, yeah. I, I just get the sense that there, there's a, a different sense of whiteness when you talk there's about this. Seattle, the whiteness of Seattle with the whiteness in Boston. I get the sense it's like, it's a more aggressive type of whiteness. Um, Boston. it's, well, it's, I don't know if you call it aggressive whiteness, but certainly aggressive is not not something I think you could ever associate with the, just generally with the, with the uh, folks, with the culture of Seattle. I don't know if it's West Coast um, or what have you, but the passive aggressive reputation of that culture is well earned, as is, you know, cities on the east coast like boston like uh in a weird way like um boston is this photo negative image of seattle um so whiteness is like white folks there people Eh, it's mostly when people think of the culture of seattle and it being only i think Seven percent black. Um, it's passive aggressive. Um, it's um, you might even say smug, um, but certainly not. If people feel a certain type of way about folks, it is certainly not something that they put out there in the open. Um, in fact. Um, what someone once told me uh, when I first moved to Seattle years ago, an old um, 
old African-American political official. He said the progressive streak in Seattle is a mile long and an inch deep. And over years, that certainly proved to be true, um, especially as it related to um, issues related um, to people who look like me and anybody who wasn't um, affluent and and white. Um, and the cracks show once you live there long enough. Um, but in Boston, you know, people tend to tell you exactly what they feel. Um, you know. And I don't know. There's a kind of a a freedom in that that uh, maybe not freedom is not the right word. Maybe it's just something I prefer to know where I stand with people. Would you would you say an honesty, a direct honesty? What's that? A direct honesty? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. My interactions with folks here have been fine, um, but it's just the kind of place where you know somebody who has the best of intention that, and it's, uh, I remember being at a bar a couple months back over the summer and struck up a conversation with a guy, a young guy, and he was talking to me and he was fine. But he was talking, you know, I was telling him I just moved here and he was like, well, he was telling me about his old neighborhoods, uh, like South Boston, Southie, that kind of thing. And, you know, he was just like, look, I'm not trying to offend you, but there are some bars that you might not be able to go into just because of the way you look, just because of who you are. That still exists in Boston. And, you know, that's just the kind of place they said. It's just maybe it's, maybe that's on the way. Uh, maybe there was a, that only exists in certain pockets of the city, but it still does exist. Um, apparently. <laughs> so, so life is basically a 24 hour Dennis Lehane novel. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know if it's like that, but yeah. there's certainly, there's, there's certain aspects of Dennis Lehane novels that certainly ring true. Um, you know, it's not Charlestown. Charlestown isn't, you know, uh, how it's depicted in uh, what's that movie? Gone, baby, gone. Uh, no, 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 not the one, not that one. It's a bank robbing movie with uh, oh, the, the town. Yeah, the town. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not that. Okay. Well, I mean, let's take it all the way back with you. Just what made you want to get in this line of work and just have to bounce around and. Uh, work your investigative skills? Well, you know, I remember you asking me that question almost 10 years ago, but uh, I guess, I don't know, I have to go back and see how my answer differs now, but um, I feel like it's the same answer. um, When I started, all I really wanted to do was tell stories. I loved just rich narratives without even really realizing that I had fallen in love with, with narrative journalism. I kind of did, and just that I discovered maybe uh, sort of late that it, in 
my college career that was something that I wanted to do and perhaps even could do. Um, but over time, I started gravitating towards reporting that I felt could make a difference. It wasn't just about like writing out yarns. Um, and that was because of, for a couple of reasons, because, you know, all weeklies that I was working for when I started out in my early part of my career were dying. I mean, they were dying when I got started, but they still looked robust. They were decaying from the inside, and anybody who worked for them could see that. Or anybody in the industry could knew that. Um, and then, you know, the, the floodgates opened, the dam broke, whatever, and they just started dying and contracting and shrinking and all those words. And my, I guess, because of that, I had to do different types of work because the publications where you could stay employed and, and just write narratives, even if they were compelling ones, it's just um, they were disappearing. So I had to start writing more like hard news, which I guess culminated in, in uh, um, going to New Jersey. I had written in investigative stories before that and really enjoyed it. I mean, because, I don't know, there's a part of you that just maybe is, I wouldn't call it contrarian, but needing to, to not be combative, but, I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, to like feel like you could um, put people who absolutely deserve it in their place in print. Yeah. Um, to call folks out, to hold folks accountable. And if you have a problem with authority, maybe, um, that is a great line of work to go into because it allows you to um, take people in positions of power who have some responsibility for public good or safety or have you and to um, make sure that they are fulfilling that mission. Um, well, well, I well, I guess uh, now would be a good time to ask, do you have a problem with authority? Oh, probably. No, actually, no. That's, that's yeah, I always have. Where, where, where did that stem from? That's a good question. I don't really know, because, uh, but it's something that um, I think I can tell you that if you ask my mother, she's been worried about. Like, if things don't make sense to me that I have a problem. I was always the person who questioned everything. So didn't matter who it was coming from. Was like that whole trust but verify thing. It's like no, I don't trust anything or anybody. Uh, yeah. So which probably made me hell. You know, as a uh, as a child uh, yeah. trying to 
or for somebody to, to try and raise and certainly try and teach because I asked way too many oh it was just questions especially in you know well really in every stage um, so yeah I I'll own that yeah definitely had a problem with authority in that way mm-hmm. um, so yeah fast, fast forward to I think it was like 2015, um, having just been laid off, um, trying to figure out what to do. Uh, where where were you laid off from? Oh, this is Microsoft. This was in Seattle. Um, but, but, yeah, didn't – But let's, I guess we should start off from how we met. Oh, okay. Because uh, um, I got to know you from uh, – you – we're writing in in the uh, in, in independent weekly slash indie week in uh, the uh, Raleigh Durham area. For, ah, damn, it's like it was so long ago. It's just like the early uh, the early two thousand tens. Yeah, and uh, that was around two thousand nine, ten, eleven, I believe it was. Yeah, and and I was writing for the same publication. Yeah. And um, I forget how we actually met. I don't know. Do you remember? Uh, I don't really. Um, I think this, but I was, if I had to guess, I'd say it was probably at a bar. Okay. And yeah, and uh, I, I for some reason just like you, and there's this other writer, Will Huntsbury, and. You t- for some reason you two I just associated as kind of like the this this new flock of uh, news writers that they were bringing in to the paper, and just uh, how did you gotta get involved with? Because how 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 you got involved with going to North Carolina and writing news over there? Oh, I think um, that was my second job um second job i ever had um what was the first in journalism i was working for a small uh sort of boutique um news weekly um that was run owned and operated by uh the virginian pilot company, or I guess it was the parent was Landmark Communications, which is in Norfolk, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And the I got that job, and within about seven or eight months, um, I think the writing was sort of on the wall, um, and that I just got this feeling like it just wasn't, um, it wasn't going to last, because mm-hmm. that was, a, sort of, again, that was the beginning of the end, really, for all weeklies. Yeah. And um, and then I ended up meeting the uh, editors of the Indie Week, or the Indie, um, at a conference, and they had just lost someone, uh, Mosey Secret. Wait. Which is funny because, like, I actually know him a lot because he used to write 
for the Houston Press, which of course I'm from, and I also wrote for the Houston Press as well. So yeah, we have history as well. So. Yeah, yeah, he was there. He was there for a couple of years, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, um, ended up. Uh, long story short, offered me a job after he left, um, and yeah, took it. So that started <laughs> Adventures in North Carolina. Yeah, well, for, uh, for the Mosey's secret, he's an African American. So yeah. I guess they said, like, hey, let's get another African-American in there. Yeah, yeah, well, always, that was always pretty clear. But I think everybody was good-natured about it. Yeah. Um, but it was because, um, uh, like I said, I, I just recognize, acknowledge you and Will as the news guys. And I wanted to get to know more about how you guys go about getting stories and writing stories. So there was a point where I had a, uh, another podcast a long time ago. And, uh, I, I, I asked y'all if you want to, uh, be, uh, wanted, if I could interview you for this podcast. And so we went to a, f- I didn't want to interview you every interview y'all at my house. So we went to a, f- a friend's house. I don't know if you remember that. I do. Yeah, so we went into because you know, he had a much more attractive house. And I interviewed you, you two there. And we chopped it up about journalism. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I think that still comes up in my, if you do search for my... Uh, my name and Google. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if anybody. It's, it's funny because uh, I interviewed you two, and apparently, I, I don't know some stuff. We we talked some. We talked about some stuff, and it triggered some. I don't know if this we want to talk about just how uh, you listened to it, and it just like had you thinking about certain things about how you wanted to, uh, you know, how you wanted to just go about with the direction you were going as a journalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that it was fun. Um, I think there was probably whiskey involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause he had whiskey at the house. I remember, like, like shortly after that, then we, I saw you at a at a coffee shop, at the yeah, at a coffee shop there in Raleigh, and I was just like, "Hey, what you doing, man?" And you started talking about, "Hey, I'm just thinking about doing some stuff." Because after we talked, it was just like some some things that were going on, and so yeah, yeah, I haven't been to Raleigh in a long time, but uh, but yeah, it was a fun night. I still uh, keep in touch with Will. He's out in California now. Yeah. But how, but what was it like just like being there in the Raleigh-Durham area and just like made you decide, hey, just just maybe I should just go about doing something else? When you say go about doing something else. 
Well, well, I mean, just like you said, like while you were at in in the Raleigh Durham area, then you moved on. I guess you moved back to Seattle. You moved to Seattle or something. Just like was it just was it just like that wasn't part of your that was you didn't see that as part of your scene or just like you wanted to uh, move some where else more productive or perspective and just um yeah that was a weird time i don't know i was kind of getting disenchanted um just wanted something more stable i think um and some friends uh that i had worked with in seattle previously told me that you know hey come out to seattle microsoft will pay you more money than you know you've ever made in journalism before and they were right Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't last. Yeah. So, and that was the thing about Microsoft. You can just sort of, that's why everybody on, on um, well, so many of the people who work at Microsoft are actually on contract. Yeah. Um, because they can cycle on, cycle off, but also, you know, the company can turn on a dime. Um, yeah. And obviously, they did. So, um, yeah, that's what brought me back there. And I thought I could live a comfortable, less, and certainly less hectic life uh, there. I was still sort of freelancing, you know, picking my spots while doing some, uh, honestly, it wasn't, certainly wasn't mindless, but it wasn't, um, it was just, uh, less hectic work than yeah. the day in, day, day out of even the weekly news cycle. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly less stressful, I think, than the daily news cycle. Um, it was, you know, clocking in, clocking out with shift work. Um, and it was that time there, uh, certainly before I lost the job, um, was a time of some ease. Um, had an apartment on Capitol Hill. Um, it was a good apartment. Reconnected with friends. I was able to buy things, you know, paying down debt, student loans, and then, like I said, and it was gone because the job was gone, which really, really sucked. But um, well, 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 that's the thing. Like people just. I, I get the sense that people don't know about how much uh, journalism is becoming a waning profession, whereas just like you know, just it's funny because you know what what you've done throughout the decade is kind of what I thought I was going to do, but but I was in the features, arts, and entertainment realm. And for some reason, that is not held in, in in more high regard as, say, investigative journalism. Like, I thought I would bounce around from paper to paper, you know, doing whatever. But, um, you know, what you're doing, you, you've been in C- Seattle, you've been in New Jersey, you've been in, now you're in Boston. Just, like, you're, you're, you're more in demand than somebody like me per se who just writes about fluffy 
culture stuff. And then I think the reason for that is just, well, not the reason for that, but if there, if that is true, it's newspapers responding to, um, well, the thing that at least that they believe will keep them afloat. Mm-hmm. I think that you can certainly, um, in a general interest newspaper, you have to have people who can go out into communities and find good narrative stories, feature stories, that kind of stuff. Um, but like any, certainly any uh, type of journalism, or whatever your beat might be, whatever your specialty is, it's just less of those jobs around. Like it's this getting this job, or these are any job at a newspaper is incredibly tough. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't think that people maybe they understand that loosely, but um, I don't know that um, people know enough to know any journalist to know uh, basically what uh, a sacrifices that may be involved um, uh, certainly the the obstacles that get thrown in people's way and I know that you know what that's like um, anybody who knows you knows that because um, you've been through it too um, and just because I'm okay right now doesn't mean that I will be I think with any the cycle of, you know, journalism, like a journalism career is sort of, well, kind of fraught. Like, you have to keep reinventing yourself, mm-hmm. make yourself, like, um, stay relevant somehow and stay ahead of the next round of layoffs wherever they might come. Yeah. Like, you know... Yeah, investigative journalism is um, um, highly sought after now. It might still be in five, ten years. Who knows? But I know that at some point, I'm going to be maybe more expensive than a you know a newspaper might want to pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be a crazy time for me. And anybody, I think, who's ever been in that position, like at some point, people want to get younger and cheaper. And there's always going to be somebody who's younger and cheaper. And I'm not nearly as young as I was last time that we talked. So, and yeah. certainly not as cheap. I just, I'm, I'm old as fuck now. So I know, you know, I'm not, I'm not as, ironically, not as valuable as say somebody younger, even though just like I, I, I probably know a lot more shit. I mean, you find that to be the case where people just they, you know they opt to go towards uh, younger voices, even though they may not be as well developed as more mature voices. I think it just depends on the publication. Yeah. I think certainly people, yeah, they want younger voices, and I think they also respond to. Uh, who knows, man? You know, I think 
I can't say why people get jobs and why people don't. I think it's such on an individual like basis. Like somebody may just like get a job by based on reputation or not get a job based on reputation. And somebody who doesn't have any experience whatsoever may get a job because some their editor who's doing the hiring or the editor is whoever's on the hiring committee is like we feel like that person has potential and want to let them grow. And also about the needs of that publication, right? So, I mean, I don't know, man. It's, to try and divine, like, why people will get jobs or don't in this industry, it's just, like, just, it'd be a mind. Um, it would take more brain power than I have, certainly right now. Um, it's just, Seems so very random. So well, let's let's go into light stuff because um, if there's one thing I've come to rely upon with you um, is that um, since the holiday season is here, uh, your social media posts, whether it is on um, Twitter or or Instagram or Facebook is going to be uh, interesting because you have a very fascinating mama <laughs> or family or just like just people like you, you seem to be very, uh, <laughs> be very, I just say very in touch with your family, which is just, which is like everybody should be in touch with their family, but it's just like, you know, just with, with you, it just I, it, maybe it's me because it's just a, such a w- rare damn thing with me that when I see posts that you drop and it's with you and your mama, I'm like, man, that's that's wonderful. How the fuck do you do that? Well, I mean, I it's interesting that you say that because like I I barely get to see them. Like, uh, if it is, if I do get to see them, it's on holidays. Uh, you know, they live in, in Texas and I was in Seattle and that's a real, that's a long way away. Which, which part in, Bo- which part in Texas? Oh, they're in Dallas. Dallas. Oh yes. Yeah. So, and I live in Boston now. That's a long way away. Uh, so it comes in spurts. Uh, I was only, uh, I was down there for a week. And, you know, I hadn't spent that long with my parents in a very long time. And it's really weird, you know, especially when you get a certain age and they get a certain age. Like, the time that you can spend with them, or at least the times that you get to see them, they just, you know, it's like, wow. Just looking a little bit older. And, you know, just things that you start to notice, like the passage of time and how much or at least how little time um, you get to actually spend with them. So... Wait, so so your yeah, so your peoples are originally from Dallas? Oh no, we're okay. all from Louisiana. Oh well, so, yes, yeah, so. I got to I got to go home to Louisiana too over that, that holiday. Yeah, my people yeah, from Louisiana you know, too. So. But they certainly, you know, they characters, all of them. They got moms is she's a she's a, a handful. She's mm-hmm. she's a indomitable so mm-hmm. well, uh, that's an interesting way to describe your mama this holiday season oh <laughs> yeah, maybe 
Um, she's, uh, yeah, she's a force. And, um, uh, well, I mean, just just what is it going to be like this holiday season? Is just oh, uh, nothing, man. That's why I said it was interesting. You said it. This I am. I'm going to be here in Boston, so oh, Boston. I'm not going anywhere. Wow. So, so I mean, you have any plans uh, for the holidays in Boston? Um, I might go see a a friend of mine, old friend of mine from Chicago, is going to be is actually from Boston, and she's going to be here with her family. So uh, I probably will see her maybe like Monday night, but otherwise uh, I will probably chill out, uh, have a little staycation. Uh, wait, so, wait, so somebody from Chicago is flying in and invited you to spend time with with her family? Yeah. Um, what? Wow, so, that's like how how the fuck does that happen? Because. I'm here. I'm here in Houston, just waiting for people to call up to ask, "Hey, Hamilton," and they don't do that shit. Man, you got a whole podcast. You got an audience. No, I. First of all, that that is beside the point. If you believe that, but once again, I'm in Houston, and it's sad because I know a lot of people in Houston, and nobody ever calls up to say, "Hey, you want to get together and do shit." Just like a, you know. Just... Well, if I was in Houston, bro, I would call you up to be like, "Hey, you want to go get a drink or something like that? You want to go see the new Star Wars movie? Let's go do that." That that. But okay. yeah. But uh, yeah. Uh, do you ever call? Do you ever make that first call to people? You ever like, yes, oh, I do. I have. I've called. I've contacted, and just like whatever. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that I was homeless this past year. Mm. Where people didn't want to deal with me because they didn't want to get a, like, oh, he's home. I was living in my car for a while, so just they don't want to deal with that shit. Yeah. And uh, I'm not, I'm not living in my car anymore. That's nice here. That's good. That's good. Um, but yeah, just like people in Houston, I don't know what the fuck it is. Just like try to approach. You know, hey, what's 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 happening? And just like, I don't know, they're they're all in their own little goddamn world. That's why, that's why I, I that's why I, that's why I reach out to people like you. That's the sad thing. Like I reached out to you because somebody in Houston canceled on me for this particular podcast, and I just said, who 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 can't call? And I, and I literally the first person I thought of was you. And and sure enough, you said, okay. All right, I'll be on the show. Just like we gotta do it on Friday, though. But but you do it, and, and here you are. So hey, so yeah, I'm here. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, we've talked about a lot. I mean, have you been over to uh, any of the fine repertory? The 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 first episode of this, well, this particular incarnation of the podcast. I interviewed Sean Burns. I don't know if you know him, but he, uh, you know, we talked about all the stuff that happens in Boston, like. Uh, you know, the Brattle Theater and the Harvard Film Archive. I don't know if you've been to any of those. I have not, man. Uh, I am still, I've been here for six months, and I am uh, still trying to get to know the city. I know there's a lot to offer. Um, and it's uh, certainly a terribly interesting place. Have, have you uh, been to Bodega? I have not. I don't really go out that much, man. 
Uh, I don't go out that much. Uh, I basically live at the office. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, if you ever get out there, you just got to go to Bodega because it's a combination bodega slash shoe store. That's like one of my dreams to go to to go to to go to Boston. Uh, go to you know check out the Brattle and the Coolidge and the Film Archive. Those are the repertory theaters. Of co- of course, go to the Cheers Bar. Have you been to the Cheers Bar yet? No, I don't necessarily feel it a great need to go to the Cheers Bar. I guess, uh, I guess it's just like it's just like this place that everybody goes to. It's like, oh, you got it's like it's, it's like we go to the Statue of Liberty. It's like, oh, we gotta go to the Cheers Bar. I guess so. I feel like you know, at some point, the novelty is gonna wear off because people aren't gonna remember what the hell Cheers is. <laughs> yeah, but, only you know, comedy nerds. That's true, exactly. Like people, I mean, Cheers will always be known by people who want to know about comedy. But we're talking, man. It's been, it's been thirty years. So yeah. But but yeah. Also, just slip by Cheers bar, but also go to Bodega mm. because I don't know. Is 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 like it's like they have the storefront, and then if you go inside and go, you slip past the secret wall. They got sneakers there. So sneakers, there are there are some sneaker shops here. I am, I can't. Uh, yeah, this, those are off limits. Not off limits, but there's no point in me actually going in because they don't serve people with um, feet as large as mine. So. What's what's your size? Uh, generally, really, I'm a 14 and a half, which means that in some I'm 15 and others I'm 14. Well, that, that's the same thing with me. I'm a 14 and a half slash 15. So it's just like, well, yeah, you must be going to the right spots because I can't go to any of those places. They just look at me in this. So give me this sad look like, no, we ain't got nothing for you. Well, well, you know, here's, here's the thing. Like when you have feet as big as mine. Usually, if you like, I found like I, I remember back in North Carolina, I would go to Cary and go to a, a foot action outlet store, and there would always be some size 15 sneakers that nobody picked up because they're size 15, and I would and I would buy those. Like, it's, it's like this, it's, it's not really, it's not really an impossible thing to find. Sneakers in your size, especially affordable sneakers in your size, because just like you just gotta go to the right places. Like don't go to any fancy ass spots. And it's also the same thing because like, like I as I mentioned earlier, you're bulky and I am very uh, full figured. So just like nobody is really gonna fuck with our sizes, but but just like you got there's there certain places where you can go and just. Like find some place, just just f- some affordable uh, wardrobe in in your size. Just like you just gotta go you know, reach out for it. Oh yeah, I mean, I've last couple of years I have tended to look at Amazon. Uh, I mean, with I at the end of the day, it's just more convenient than trying to find an outlet store. Yeah, um, and I've had some success. Uh, you know, uh, I like when I buy sneakers, I, I tend to like the, you know, the, I'm not a sneaker head by any stretch, but the last couple of years I'll, I'll buy a, a cool pair of sneakers, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I've actually got a, a pair of maroon Air Force Ones right now. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy with those. Uh, and maybe, I'll, who knows, I'll buy another pair if I can find a, something in that I like in 14 or 15. We'll yeah. see. I actually but, went. I went on. Um, was Mr. Porter. dot com. Shout out to Mr. Porter, and I got a uh, like some red, some old school, some like Air Force. Well, no, not some Air Force. Just like some Air, some like like early ass old school Nikes, like sixty bucks, sixty sixty five bucks. That was on sale. Because, you know, they were on sale and they were size 15. And I said, fuck it, I'll buy it. And I got it. And it was just like these red nice. low tops, which was uh, which was okay. Yeah, I got a, uh, well, my most recent purchase is a pair of Tim's. But, Tim's. uh. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Hey. Well, my the funny thing, like, I'm sorry. Like, I had nothing, nothing wrong with wearing Tim's. It's just like every time I think of Tim's. Like I think of, uh, like you know, there's always there's, I, it's just, just every like I just think every time I watch a porno with black dudes in it, uh, they're they're wearing Tims for some reason, like they be butt naked wearing Tims. I was like, why the fuck you wearing Tims in porno scene, and you just like just. I'm pretty sure there's dudes out there, you know, you know, fucking ladies wearing Tims on. And I'm just like, take off the goddamn Tims, nigga. Is this uh... uh, well, I would probably say that that those dudes they're probably wearing Tims because that's their shoes. Those are their shoes. I'm sure the wardrobe did not get them, give them Tims. And they're just like, yeah, you know. yeah, exactly. But also, just like that's their but that's also, their calling card. Like they fuck women in pornos wearing Tims. But also, yeah, I think it's the Tims culturally, anyway, especially certain types of Tims, um, are are signifiers of blackness. Yes. Yeah. And if and and the we all know what you know certain types of pornography are dealing with, are, are trying to portray. Um, and it's generally about type, archetype, what have you, stereotype. Yes. Um, you don't, you don't fuck girls in Tim's, right? <laughs> uh, anyway. Oh, okay. I know no. you weren't going to answer that question. But, like, uh, for, for some reason, like, the only thing, the only uh, sign- uh, pop culture signifier for me was that uh, like the first thirty minutes of Ghostbusters two, Bill Murray was wearing Tim's. Oh, was he? I don't think I've ever noticed that. Yeah, he was wearing Tim's, and just like that was. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I have lots of people wear Tim's, right? It's just yeah. Um, pa- Paulie Shore used to wear Tim's. I think Paulie Shore probably wore Tim's because that's what people were wearing. You know, yeah, that's what yeah. cool folks were wearing. Uh, with Bill Murray is probably a, a a functional thing back then, but. Uh, then, you know, like, well, you know, we grew up, like, it's Tim's, especially if you live in cold weather, even if you don't, uh, you have to have a pair of Tim's. And it just so happens that I am in a position 
I was very much needing cold weather boots. And so when but, it was time to get some, I was like, got to get a pair of Tim's. It's funny because, like, I remember <laughs> if we we're going down this road, like 1990, for me, that was the year where people, everybody started wearing Tim's. I mean, you watch Belle Biv DeVoe, they'd be in the Poison video, and they're wearing Tim's. And just like you see people wearing Tim's, and I'll just be like, niggas ain't hiking anywhere. No. So why the fuck they weren't like, cause it's, it, I didn't know them as Tim's. I knew them as hiking boots. So I just like, why the hell are all these niggas wearing hiking boots all of a sudden? Well, think about it. Think about it. Like when you just break it down, like when you saw Belle Biv DeVoe or to you, you were in Houston. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You were in Houston. And that was to people in that part of the world. Those are functional boots. Mm hmm. To, to folks from Boston. I can't speak to Boston in 1990s climate-wise, but if there's anything like it is now, yo, what you want when you stomp it around the, the city and there's snow and ice on the ground, you know what? You want a pair of thick boots yeah. to protect you from the elements. And it just became, for various different reasons, one just Bell Bib to Bow, but associated with young, black, urban, what have you, the culture, hip-hop, whatever, R&B with those folks. And it just became streetwear. Yeah. I remember, so I remember my at mother... At some point, it made the transition. I remember my mother bought me hiking boots. And even then, I was just like, why the fuck am I wearing these? Just like, first of all, they, they weren't Tim's. They're some cheap-ass uh, hiking boots. I distinctly uh, remember them. Cheap as hell, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm you just, some Tams, Tams, or whatever they like. The the back heel was was just just like very uh, flimsy, and I was wearing them, and I was just like, okay, I'm I'm wearing these. Like they were the like I did not feel like I did not feel Bell Bell Biv mm -hmm. wearing the wearing these hiking boots. And actually, I wanted because uh, Nike started by. Uh, they dropped some hiking boots back in the day. And I wanted to get some Nike hiking boots. You know, those ACGs, there was, were there? Oh, I think I remember those, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to get some of those, but it's just like. Yeah, so I didn't know about. I didn't know the whole hiking boot allure. Like, because I didn't, as you say, I did not live in, like, up north. Where apparently those were were very needed. I think it took some time, you know. Yeah. It took some time to to trickle down. Like by the time that I was in middle school, um, uh, high school certainly it had already taken hold. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, it was well taken hold because mm -hmm. that's what we saw. I mean, that was before South even took over popular culture and hip hop and whatnot. Because everything that you saw in BET video shows, what have you, it was dudes from New York. It was dudes from the East Coast. Oh, yeah, East that's East. what they were wearing. That's what everybody in pop culture, at least that looked like us, um, was wearing at the time. So that just became the cultural thing, and it still very much is. It's I mean, always the cultural thing. It's like yeah, and then, people do shit. And like, then it moved down to the South. I mean, when I was in Louisiana, people were wearing Tams. It was like, it's, you know what? 
it's way, you know, you're from Houston, of course, you know. It's like way too hot to be wearing a pair of Timberlands. Yeah. In the summertime. Yeah. Oh, people yeah. did it. Well, it's flip flop land in the summer. Nobody, they're they're, exactly. they're they're letting the toes breathe in the summer. Yeah, so. like, well, these things are armor. So exactly, you know. yeah. So. Uh, all right, man. Uh, where can people hit you up uh, online if you want people to hit you up online? Oh, they can follow me at just my name, Vernal Coleman. At Vernal Coleman, uh, yes. Twitter. Spell that shit. V e r n a l c o l e m a n. They've got tips. Please send them my way to Vernal dot Coleman at Globe G L O B E dot com. Okay, sir. Well, uh, thank you uh, very much for uh, taking part in this. I appreciate it, and uh, thank you. No, no problem. For stepping in Will and taking part with this. What? You should hit up Will next time just, like, for continuity. Yeah, yeah. We'll try to track down uh, the Keith Carradine-looking Will and see where the hell he's at these days. He's just in the same place. He's on, he's on Twitter. You can find him never. He's in uh, San Diego these days. All right, cool, man. I'll, I'll track him down there. All right, bro. All right, you have a good one now. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, all right. That that call uh, was was interesting and illuminating. Uh, thanks a lot, Vern, for taking part in this. Um, thanks a lot for listening to me. And uh, I guess uh, until then, this is uh, Craig D. Lindsay saying, uh, Sarah Huckabee, you, me, and some mango cake. Just. This felt need you and I need to have some mango cake, butt bald at some point in time. So, uh, yeah, just, just thinking of you, girl. All right.